Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead sheriff of Nottingham, 1d6 laser swords at a World War II. Today, we discuss Psychosis, Ship of Fools, a tarot-based role-playing game system that turned out to actually be like 95% adventure. But with a name like that, with full knowledge that this game is actually about psychoses, you know that it's going to be A, from the fucking 90s, and B, kind of a little bit at least cringe. But how cringe? Well, we'll find out on today's System Mastery. Welcome back to System Mastery. It's me, your host, Jeff, joined as always by John, the other host of the show. John, how are you? I'm all right. Good. You're not still mad at me for that joke? <laughs> nope. It's fine. Everything's fine. Good. It wasn't racist or anything. It was just stupid. Yes. Let me make that clear. It wasn't a joke that you, you'd be mad at me for being insensitive or anything. No, it was a stupid joke, and I'm angry that I got it. Yeah, that's all. But I'm not going to tell it to you guys, because it's too stupid. It would require too much setup. Yeah, that's the problem with a lot of the off-mic jokes that we tell each other is yeah. there is a process to get to a punchline <laughs> that we go through. Yeah, that one was a bit of a walk, but uh, it, did, it did derive from the beginnings uh, via this book, Psychosis, Ship of Fools from 1993-1994. It is That, that title is uh, separated by a colon for a reason. It is the Psychosis role-playing game, and then the adventure that is packaged with this version of the Psychosis role-playing game is Ship of Fools. Yeah, the bottom of the book uh, has a little number one on there, as does the spine. And, you know, I have to imagine that it was mostly just a crapload of different adventures in this thing. I didn't look it up because, of course, we don't do research no on research, this show. No research. Never research. If I mean, we do anything research, then we can be wrong. Yeah. Now, I do want to, you know, I want to say that because it's been a while mm -hmm. since we've let the audience know that... We are reviewing the books that we do just on the book itself, sight unseen, yeah. no research, because we want to judge it just on its merits, not on, you know, whether or not some random other book in the series did something. Well, there's, I mean, we've run into that problem before. People will, if they don't know that what we do is take the initial book and read it and then just talk about that, and we don't read the novel it's based on, and we don't watch the show it was based on. We aren't looking at, like, the fifth supplement that came out for it that totally redeemed it. Yeah, that's, people tend to uh, really move the goalposts on us, so we have to maintain pretty strongly that we didn't read whatever dumb Elric of Melnabone shit that you thought, you think we needed to read before we could read this game. <laughs> we read this fucking game. Yeah, but I assume that probably the other ones... Uh, outside of Ship of Fools, there's probably several with, you know, the two, three, and so on that are just probably the same rules in front mm -hmm. and a big adventure because the rules for this book take up like 10 pages. Yeah, it's like when we read those books about anime and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, and here's the rules for how to play the Dragon Ball role-playing game. Roll a D6. If you rolled higher than a three, you win at Dragon Ball. Anyway, uh, here's 400 more pages about Krillin. <laughs> He's just a little guy. He doesn't have any powers. I can't do anything. I'm just a human. <laughs> I don't have any powers. I'm just a little guy, and that's my birthday. <laughs> don't step on me. <laughs> but psychosis, uh, outside of the adventure, just the rules for psychosis, mm -hmm. are, you know, fairly simple. They do pretty much 
pack everything into a fairly small book and only maybe like a dozen and some odd pages. Yeah, it's a little tiny guy of a book. But uh, it's his birthday. <laughs> What's up, John? How you doing? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Hi, I'm Krillin. <laughs> I don't have any powers. <laughs> and I'm here to podcast. <laughs> hey, do you I'm... think Krillin would podcast like Joe Rogan? I mean, here's the, the problem with Krillin ultimately is that as much fun as it is to make fun of him for being a little guy who doesn't have any powers, he is, at the end of the day, a cop. <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't want to listen to his copaganda podcast. That's, that's why I assume he would podcast like Joe Rogan. Yeah, he'd be like Joe Rogan. It'd be a really unpleasant podcast with a lot of apologies for or, or uh, defensive cop behavior and so on. He's not. Krillin is not defensible like most of the rest of the cast of the Dragon Ball universe. Like Master Roshi. Yeah, Master Roshi is a horny, unpleasant old man, but he is not a cop. <laughs> but at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, Vegeta would have at one point have tried to destroy the planet and is entirely obsessed with one guy to the point where he ignores his own kids and just names them after underwear to keep himself busy. Uh, and, and yet still not a cop. And yet still Krillin would shoot my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Krillin has probably shot some dogs. So the rules for psychosis. Mm, tarot card dependent. Yes, indeed. Uh, they split up the tarot suits into your stats, essentially. Uh-huh. So you've got your uh, staves as strength, uh, swords as your decks. Yeah. You've got... Uh, the last use, two are cups and coins. Well, they yeah, use they use coins instead of pentacles, which pentacles yeah. is the standard for it, but I assume it's 93. They want to at least semi-distance themselves a little bit because that whole satanic panic thing is I still probably in there. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So, so yeah, but they do mention in there that like, oh, uh, cup or coins is also known as discs or pentacles. I've never heard anyone ever say discs. No, but uh, that one is your intellect and then cups is your charisma. Yeah. Yeah, I had that written down on a notepad behind me, but then if I, real I realized if I reached around to get it, it would like turn off my fucking computer or something, so... I'm glad you knew him off the top of your head. I do. I know yeah. everything off the top of my head. Do you? Everything? Everything. Can I ask you any question at all? Any You'll... question at all. Oh. Go ahead and ask the Oracle, Jeff. What's in my pocket? <laughs> Nothing good. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> he got me there. Shit, he does know. Oh, there were gummy bears, but now they're all warm and linty. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Gonna catch me warm and linty. <laughs> Uh, now the major arcana, yeah, uh, outside of the four suits are set aside because those are very rarely going to be used, but they're just sort of modifiers to things. Yeah. They kind of work the way you'd expect them to. They have, they have the, uh, the import associated with the actual major arcana and the tarot associated with them. Uh, although the game has very little mechanical interaction, so they can't do much. So, you know, if you pull the devil, it, it'll be like, ah, you know, bad things, negative change, stasis or whatever. And then it'll give you a little blurb about what to actually do with that. And it won't be that interesting. Yeah. A lot of them are mostly just changing what reality you think you are in at the moment. Yes. Oh, and, and because that is actually the core of this game is that this game is, and I looked it up, there is only Ship of Fools. Wow. So they did, the, although they put the one on there, that was apparently optimistic. They did not <laughs> get, they did not get a two. Uh, the, the basic premise of any psychosis game, or that was supposed to be the premise of more than beyond this one is, uh, you can never be sure of what your senses are. So it's always games where all the players are addled by 
psychoses and do not know where they are and are interacting with the world in fantastic or, str or strange ways. Yes. So you end up getting, you know, at the very, like, close to reality level, because this has essentially three levels of reality out from what actual reality yeah, is. Yeah, you have what's called the spine reality, which is what's, what's real, and then you've got A, B, and C levels of reality out from that. So you might, in like an A level, be doing like Shutter Island, mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, you're pretty close, yeah. that's fine. Like one of the A level realities in, the, in this game setting is it, everything's the same, but there's no one there. Like you're the only person in the world in this version. So if someone comes up and talks to you, then you either don't hear it or you hear it as like, a computer screen nearby coming to life and saying something. Yeah. So that one's pretty close. And they have one that's like, oh, you're, I mean, you're in a spaceship as the general thing. And they're like, oh, you're in the spaceship, but before it took off. So it's all pristine and everyone in there is like people building it and stuff. Yeah. And there's one that's like, you know, as you move your way up the ranks, you go to B tier. B tier is where it starts developing its weird literary pretension where it's like you think you're in the morlock caves and the noble eloy are there to help you and i guess you read a lot of fucking jules verne i mean you don't need to read a lot of jules verne you just need to exist in a zeitgeist that has <laughs> i exist in a zeitgeist where there's morlocks and eloy that, that uh, like and, and i know who they are and who wrote them and what all that shit i feel like no matter how strong of a psychosis i i got i wouldn't start imagining big furry purple people who are like we live in caves and hate the eloy <laughs> we put wholesome teeth <laughs> yes i would be more likely to, to imagine the cavity creeps <laughs> than the fucking morlocks uh the and then, of course, you get to the sea level, and it's shit like, you're an ant in a colony. There's cartoon like animals everywhere, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. So, the a lot of the like major arcana, which is what we were talking about, will shift you between those. So it'll be like, oh, you shift one level closer to reality, or one further away, or yeah. you shift to a different one, but on the same level. So It's also the only way that any two players can share uh, a uh, a psychosis is... You know, if you pull a major arcana that happens to shift you into someone else's, then you're finally sharing a reality and you can experience the, the, a shared delusion together. Yeah. So, you know, if I think, oh, I'm running around in a castle with, you know, monks and whatnot, and I'm trying to find religious artifacts and the other person is running around as, you know, a World War II pilot, if I shift, then I can be like, oh, cool. Now I'm running around and world war ii with this dude yeah but normally because there's all kinds of ways in this game to shift realities uh normally when you shift reality you will shift to one because the game uses like a, a cosmology style wheel of realities turn 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 uh <laughs> and uh so if you go from spine to like a rank realities then you go to the first one available that no one else is currently in yeah so normally you can't ever be in the same delusion as someone else at the same time that they are, but the Major Arcana can let you skip that. Now, what you may be hearing from us saying that part is that this game might be a little tricky to DM, like just a little, yeah. because all all the players, anywhere between four and six players they ask for, uh, think they're in different worlds and none of them know what's actually going on. And every time you talk to one of them, you have to be running them all as their own little side adventure because none of them share any shared reality with anyone else. Yes. And especially when you start getting into like a lot of the ones where you think you're alone or, you know, you've only got like say, uh, everyone around you speaks a different language, so you can't understand anyone, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, even if you're in the same room with another player, because they're not 
within your imagined reality, you're like, oh, you're you're just a lamp or whatever. Yeah. I don't even see that you exist. There are certain rules that always apply. Uh, players are always other players are always recognizable no matter what reality you're in. Uh, even in the one where you're the only person in the universe, you hear them as just disembodied voices or computer screens coming to life. Uh, but so you'll always, they have a PC halo is codified function in this game. Uh, so no yeah, matter, there's, there's a few things in the game that are yeah. like, these are important to your character. So no matter what reality you think you're in, mm -hmm. they will be important in that reality. And one of those things is the other players. The rest are these things called the icons, which I really wish they had come up with a better naming scheme for because they are impossible to remember what they do. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, I assume it's because they were like, oh, yeah, every game that you want to run of Psychosis, if you're doing different adventures, you're like, oh, you'll you'll have different icons be different things. So it just makes it harder to remember the because they did them by color. Yeah, they by color the rainbow. Them. Yeah. So they're like the red icon, the blue icon, the green icon. And if you find this thing, it's the green icon. And so but the problem being that every, no matter what you always see them as something that's related to what your current psychosis is. Uh, so the descriptions are things like you found the indigo icon and you are in a, ca a cartoon universe. You hear it as a nagging voice that tells you you must go home. <laughs> I'm like, what is that fucking? Okay, sure. I wish you because each one of them is a real thing in the spine reality. Uh, well, and again, we're kind of diving back and forth between the rules of the game and the adventure that the game comes with because the book is mostly adventure. Yes. Uh, and it's it's honestly hard to describe a lot of the rules without sort of giving a concrete, this is what it would actually look like. Yeah, like if you want to get a super basic rundown on the rules, let me give them, do, get, do that real quick. Uh, each player is dealt five cards. Uh, if you draw, if you're dealt an ace, set it aside and get a new card instead. And that's just at the start of the game. Just the start of the game. Normally, if you pull an ace, you discard it, but draw a major arcana instead. Yes. Uh, but it, you don't get major arcanas at the very start of the game, so you just discard them. So now you have a hand of five cards, and that hand of five cards should be because you're discarding aces and the major arcana are set aside in their own deck, uh, anywhere between ones and tens and the face cards well, from twos, because no oh, yeah. twos through tens plus the face cards of each of the four, uh, what are they called? Cycles? Uh, suits. Suits. Each of the four suits. Trumps, I think they keep calling them in this. It depends. Yeah. Because trumps is, are actually its own mechanic. Right. But the you have the four suits, whatever, uh, each one corresponding to one of those stats. Now you can... Uh, take any of those cards and slot one to be a permanent uh like stat for you so if you manage to pull like oh i got the king of cups you're like i will slot that into my cups and just say i always have the king available no matter what yeah. and that's uh, they skip numbers for those so it ends up being like the king is worth 16 yes because yeah. you go up like the page queen and king go to like 12 14 16 yes and uh the the section of cards you put out in front of you you can have up to four of them but they still count as your hand so if you for example pull a, a really nice hand and you're like great i put nine in staves and and uh you know a, a queen in cups and so on you have one card left to modify your thing and if you play it you play it and you draw to one because you still have all four cards in what's called your trace but technically it's just the part of your hand that you can always use and everyone can see yeah. Now it's a little, you know, you don't want to use the trace immediately, even if you have a decent card. Like if you pull a nine, you might look at it and go, oh, it'd be nice to always have, you know, a nine in cups or whatever. Mm -hmm. But 
you cannot change that unless something in the game forces you to. Which there so are if several you pull, things. Like the King of Cups later, you just can't slot that in. Yeah. So it is it is a smart idea to wait on those. Uh, but basically, the way the game works is you will. Oh, and you may be thinking, okay, well that means is there a skill system? No. Uh, so for example, if you're if you are faced with a coins challenge which i believe is dexterity intelligence intelligence faced with an intelligence channel challenge uh you you think well okay i could use that for all kinds of things does that mean i'm equally good at gambling as i am and like knowing history and piloting spaceships and so on and the answer is yes because so often you are going to be psychotically thinking you're doing something else entirely that actually having skills would be counterproductive to the to the flow of the game well yeah 90 percent of the time you're supposed to be doing things that your character actually knows what they're doing and in the uh like reality that you are in you're just thinking of it as whatever yeah so it doesn't matter if yeah sure sometimes i'm equally as good at you know being able to high jump as i am sprint as i am whatever for the dexterity ones yeah you're like yeah, but that's because you're not actually doing those things. No, you're doing something dexterous at some level of reality and awareness, but uh, in your mind, you may be like jousting with a with a mighty knight or something instead of programming a computer really fast. Yeah. So it would not be helpful to have a skill system. So thankfully, it just doesn't have one. It even points that out. It's like, hey, why don't you have specialties in these? And it's like because you never know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. You just know <laughs> your your character on some primal level is aware of their training and skill, and so they're programming a, a computer to to open up an airlock or something like that. But you don't think you are. You think you're unlocking a safe on a zeppelin. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting that you the because when you get to a challenge. You basically take your cards that you have and you put down uh, either a trump and a bunch more. And the trump is whatever the challenge is. So if it's a, a dexterity based challenge, I need swords. Yeah. Now, if I happen to at the beginning of the game uh, draw five cards, I have no swords. Then it I, it's not that I can't do anything. Uh, swords have two. Al well, every suit has two things that they are aligned with and one that they are opposite of. Mm -hmm. So you can always play, instead of the trump for what you're doing, one of the aligned. So if I happen to have, you know, the ten of uh, staves instead of a sword, mm -hmm. I could be like, all right, I can put that down, but I can't add anything more to it. Yeah, and also in opposed roles, like if, for example, you're fighting with somebody and you go, oh, I'm going to use intelligence because I don't have any fighting skills stats that are relevant at the moment, uh, it will get beaten by virtually anything that's played from the correct trump, uh, the correct suit. Yeah. But uh, it's there. to Basically, it's your way to play. It's like hearts. You can, you know, you don't have any, any uh, clubs in your hand. Fine. You can still play a heart and pass that trick on to someone else. Well, the... The good thing about starting with the actual card if you have a trump for it is you can then add on as many related or trump uh cards as you want to so yes. if i have a sword and two staves in hand mm -hmm. i could play all three of them for a sword challenge yes and the way the challenges work in this game is fairly simple they tell you a value and then a associated suit so, for example, if you're like, oh, you have to uh, walk this t this catwalk uh, or this tightrope, that's going to be a 10 slash 
uh, swords challenge because it's a dexterity thing. Now, you as a player don't actually know what the difficulty is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll just, you tell them what you're going to do. If you're like, all right, I'm going to try and, you know, walk over this tight rope to get to the other side. You're like, all right, that's a dexterity challenge. Go ahead and just put down as much as you want of whatever thing you want. And, and we'll see if it's right or not. And tell me what your number is, and I'll tell you whether you succeed. Yeah. Now, um, it does encourage that players should be should go ahead and, and take advantage of that. If you don't have any swords in hand, for example, and you, you're like, well, I guess I'll math this problem out instead. I'll uh, I'll try and reprogram a computer to make a catwalk come across so I don't need to walk that tightrope. You know, if you're if you're smart and the DM should be using uh, uh, back and forth counterplay with you, then they'll be like, yeah, okay, fine. This just turned into a coins challenge. Congratulations. You're very smart. Yeah, I mean, you could just be like, all right, well, instead of trying to balance on it, I just hang from it, turn it into a strength challenge of can I, you know, just monkey bar my way across this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's anytime you can try and talk your way into a thing, sure. uh, You don't get to just be like, uh, I'll use whatever for this. I mean, you have to actually be able to say and the thing is, most of the time, you just get presented with a scenario. You're like, all right, uh, you're in this room, uh, the Gestapo is after you, mm-hmm. and, you know, you'll describe the room, and if you say, oh, we'll all, you know, fight them, you're like, okay, great, you don't have any weapons, you're gonna fist fight them, obviously that staves. All right, if you're like, oh, I'm gonna try and hide, I'm gonna find a place where they won't find me, you're like, all right, well, that could be intelligence, or it could be dexterity, depending mm-hmm. on what you're doing. Yeah. So it's usually up to the player's decision of how they act for what you'll actually get. The The game does have, if the player does this, like a choose your own adventure. Yes. And then gives you some example, like have them do a staves 10 challenge or whatever. Yeah. The game is largely very choose your own adventure because uh, ultimately, since no one is in a shared delusion most of the time, it's expected that everyone's going to go wandering off and do random stuff all over the map. Well, yeah, you have... In the back of the book, a uh, little chart of the adventures that you can do. Mm -hmm. So it's like everyone starts at one in their own little psychosis, and then you either go to two or three. If you go to two, from two, you can go to three, four, or five. From three, you could go to five or ten or six. And so you can sort of jump around narratively, Mm -hmm. but that also means in the game... (laughs) You're doing the same scene in different, like, genres over and over again. You're basically doing improv games because they're like, all right, you had a scene where, you know, the bad guys came in and they roughed you up and tried to get information out of you. Mm -hmm. Great. How does that look like when you're doing a medieval sword and sorcery? And how does that look like when you're doing a cartoon? Yeah. You're going to have three of the four players you're playing with encounter the wise old spacer who knows the secret ways of of the ship they're on. Uh, but all all three of them, are gonna, one of them's going to encounter him as fucking Rafiki, and and one of them's going to encounter him as himself. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of them is just like, oh, yeah, I found a book and it told me all these things. Yeah, and I, 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 the basic idea is supposed to be that the player shouldn't be able to tell that you're cheating them this way. Yeah, they should be like, oh, I don't know where I am or what's going on. Yeah. But I have to imagine, especially because you can miss things like the icons that we were talking about are actual things that you need. So like one of them is a key card you need to get into the area where uh, you need to land the ship from. Yeah. And you're like, okay, you actually need that. It's in one of the uh, like 
little adventure things in here. So if you go to scenario, you know, 14 and it's the one that has the key card and you do it and you don't get the key card out of it because you just didn't take it or you failed, or you then you have to come it. back later and you're like, oh, well, now I have to do the same scene again. And if I haven't switched my reality yet, I have to find a new way to do the same scene. Yeah. The, uh, the key card, by the way, is the orange icon. Yep. And it is located in a Market Bazaar stall uh, where a guy is selling all kinds of optical data disks of movies and so on. But one thing he also has is an old key card that he doesn't know what it does and everyone thinks it's useless because, uh, you know what, after I finish this this part of the sentence, I'll just tell you what the actual spine reality is so we can make this a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you're supposed to notice this one guy's stall out of hundreds of stalls. Check it out. Notice that among all of his optical movie drives and so on, he has a random other thing uh, and then want it. And then if you try and get it, he just gives it to you because it's useless. He's got it for sale, but he's still like, you're like, I want that thing. He's like, yeah, that's for sale, but you can have it. And it is because you're you're even in your psychosis addled brain. You're supposed to notice that the icons are important automatically. So it will have PC halo to you if you think to go over to that stall. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially in your reality, you're going to be like, oh, I'm wandering around and. Maybe I think I'm in a giant library and you'll be like, when the person running the game describes the library to you, they'll be like, oh, and you happen to see the first edition of a book that you absolutely love mm -hmm. sitting uh, over there on one of the shelves. And so you can tell when the DM is like, hey, PC, there's a thing over there. Mm -hmm. Then you're like, oh, that's got to be one of the important things. Yeah. The kind of thing that would work really well in a point to click adventure game. Yeah. You're like, well, I didn't I wouldn't normally click on the monkey over there, but it is clickable. So I guess I'll just take them. Take uh, monkey. I, I, I guess I'll see if something works with this. Lick monkey. I'm not putting my lips on that. <laughs> <laughs> talk to monkey. Hey, monkey. <laughs> I can't talk to a monkey. What are you crazy? Uh, does monkey have any interactivities at all? Uh, give hate this. monkey <laughs> sword? Oh, no. <laughs> give monkey a hand job. No. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, here's the spine reality. Uh, you are on a giant colony spaceship. Uh, it was sent out from Earth somewhere around 2003, because this is a game that was about the near future of 1993. Uh, it was sent out from Earth somewhere around 1993 with a 125-year mission to reach the nearest star with habitable human planets or human-friendly planets around it, Barnard's star. Uh, it was realized after the ship was launched that, that people were going to become indolent and bored and not, and not know how to, uh, not have the interest level that the initial colonists did because well, they're yeah. going to be born on the ship and die on the ship. It's going to be like the third or fourth generation that's going to arrive at Barnard Star. Yeah, because it because it's taking 125 years, the first generation is like, <clears throat> yeah, we're saving humanity. And then their kids come out and are like, wait a minute, I don't have any connection to Earth and also I'm not going to survive to see the planet we're going to. Yeah. This sucks ass and I don't care. Yeah, so it's it's assumed that everyone's going to lose interest. So what they what the uh, initial intrepid team of uh, of researchers and colonists do is they either freeze themselves or their specifically very useful children uh, in cryostasis freezy doodles who have unique and special training that will be necessary to stop the ship when it reaches Barnard Star because it's one of those ships that was launched into space by blowing up nuclear explosions behind it and then to slow it down nuclear explosions need to get blown up in front of it 
so it can enter into a stable orbit around the star yeah. or one of the planets of the star. Uh, so you need a team of highly trained specialists, and everyone knows in 120 years from now, you won't have that. You'll have telephone de- uh, desanitizers and so on. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's definitely, you know, after the first 25 or so years of being in space, the original people were like, ooh, I can see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So the war- the uh, the setting is... The freezy doodles that, that you got frozen in didn't work very well. So, like, 75% of the people who were put into them died. Well, plus, the people who are waking you up, because there are factions now of the people who are in charge who realize if they land, they might not be in charge anymore. Yeah. And they don't want to land. And then, of course, the people who do want to actually get to a new planet. But the people waking you up, it's like, all right, it's been 100 years, and I've had no training so i'm mostly just hitting buttons and praying We're just unplugging these and seeing what it does yeah and, so uh, a lot of people died when they tried to wake them up and of the people who don't die uh the process is so harrowing and broken of being woken up from your freezy tube that you come out crazy you come out with a psychosis and you can't tell where you are and everything's all wild and wacky yeah now each player gets assigned uh, you don't have character creation. You are just assigned what you actually are. Yeah, there are six starting roles, and, and they are sequential. You don't get to choose them. No, you're just like if you're player one. Congratulations, you're now like the ship. Uh, no, pilots two. Pilots two. Uh, one is like ops engineer or something like that. It's the person who knows how to. Uh, it's the navigator. Navigator. That's so right. So you get a navigator, a pilot, an engineer, the propulsion tech, the life sciences. Uh, scientist, and the engineer. Yeah, those last two are less useful than the others because it's not assumed you'll have a full roster of six players. Yeah, but you wake up, and depending on which one of those you are, there is a set reality that you start in. Yeah, so for example, if you are the navigator, then you wake up in 1936 uh, in a a Zeppelin that's somewhere between uh, Germany and London. And a Gestapo officer has killed someone it is now doing like a full inquisition thing yes and so that's that's how you are 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 experiencing reality if you're the next person down if you're the person who is the the pilot pilot. then you are a downed pilot in world war ii france occupied france and you end up doing that whole like french resistance movement thing interestingly of the starting six career uh, things you can be stuck like psychoses you can be stuck in three of them are world war ii shit yeah you've got those two and then if you're the engineer you're stuck in the Manhattan Project. Yeah. And you're like, what the f- Why? I guess World War II is just universally applicable to being stuck in a big spaceship? I guess. Yeah, because a lot of them are World War II. I mean, at least one of them, I went, oh, that makes sense. Where it's like, ah, uh, you wake up and you think you're like Jack uh, Ripper, super <laughs> uh, a cyborg man. Cyborg who's just gotten his spaceship onto a giant Hulk and... No one is there but evil aliens, and it's your job to go get salvage while killing off the bad guys. Yeah. So uh, these these psychoses are automatic and are assigned to characters sequentially. So if you are if you start as the uh, navigator, you automatically start in this psychosis where you think you're on a zeppelin and a Gestapo officer is purging people he considers disloyal. Yeah. Um. But when you jump out of those realities, which you can do fairly easily. Uh, other people can jump into them. You can well. You can never jump into something someone else has done unless you get pulled in. Yes. Yeah. It's correct. I thought you could jump into them if they were out of them. No. But you're right. You can't. You so uh, you can always go back to one that you've done before. Yes. But if you know, I take the reality that's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm in a cartoon. 
Yeah. That means unless I get an arcana that pulls you into that reality with me, no one else is going to ever have that because, you know, that would be weird. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I'm fairly certain that the starting realities that everyone is, is in are B tier. B tier. Yeah. There's A tier, which is the closest thing to possible reality, and C tier, which is completely wild and outside the the uh, the bounds of, of what you are actually experiencing. Yes. So you start at the median, and then each time you do a thing, you can you can shift either closer in towards the spine reality or lucidity, or you can shift outwards towards further madness. Yeah, one of the actual uh, icons in this, the blue one, mm-hmm. is a treatment they have in the actual reality that can try and stabilize you. Yeah, but it's like an evil, messed up helmet that will fuck your shit. Uh, so it's got a it's got a solid chance every time it works of not helping and instead either making you crazy or just hurting you. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, it's you do this experimental thing and either it grounds you in reality or it messes you up worse. So you pretty much either get pulled closer to spine reality or pers- pushed further away. Yeah. And interestingly, if you manage to get like certain really good effects from it. You can have things where you're like, oh, you get pulled directly into the spine reality. Mm-hmm. You are now back here. And if you ever get pushed out, you can make like a very difficult like 25 uh, check to stay in reality. So yes. at that point, you're like, oh, I'm still fucked up from the freezing and unfreezing process, but I've got a better grip on reality than I otherwise would have. Yeah, like notably, even if you're in the spine reality and you're perceiving things the way they actually are, where you're on your giant cylindrical carved out asteroid colony spaceship and so on, and you know about the landers who are the faction who are trying to land the ship and the counselors who are the faction who are trying to keep power and not land the ship, uh, you still don't know who you are. At, at, at the very best, you're like, all right, I understand where I am, but you don't know what your role in it is necessarily beyond instinct, and you don't know like who, what your name is or anything. Yeah, one of the actual icons... The red. Uh, no, the indigo... Oh, the reminder. Yeah. Is basically, you find this icon, and it's, you know you have to go do something. Yes. So yeah. if you're in the spine reality, and you have that icon, you're like, oh, I realize I have to stop the ship. Yeah. Why don't we run down the icons real quick, just to make that simpler. Uh, the red icon is the roster, and it will tell you the names of everybody uh, who was in the initial ship. It doesn't have the names of all these new landers and counselors and colonists and well, so yeah, on. Well, yeah, because like 100 years later. Yeah. But but it'll have your name and also the name of all the players and other people who were on the ship at that time. Yeah. Uh, the the After the red is the orange, which is a key card that will enable you to get into certain bowels of the ship areas that are important. Yeah, it's basically just an access badge. The yellow is an environment-proof space suit, because part of the end of the story is you need to make a jump across vacuum to get inside of a ship that you can slave the controls of the uh, broken saddle or uh, colony ship you're in to the lander spaceships inside of it and land from one of those. But to get to them, you have to go through vacuum. So there's a, there's a space suit. Yep. You've got the green, which is a map, mm-hmm. uh, given that, you know, since you wake up and have no idea who you are or where you are, having a map that tells you where the important things are is good. Yep. Then you've got blue, which, as we mentioned already, is the the medical helmet that can uh, either make you crazier or restore you to sanity. And then finally, indigo, which is the reminder of your purpose. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, some of these, it's interesting that they're like, yeah, the indigo is literally just you remember you have to do something. Mm-hmm. And depending on the reality you're in, that could be just, oh, you have a song stuck in your head that you can't get out. 
or there's a string tied around a f- your finger to remind you of something. Yeah. Uh, so they can take concepts and turn them into actual physical objects in your reality mm-hmm. or the other way around. You could be like, oh, you find a map, but in your reality, it's just, oh, I remember how to get around here because it's my hometown. Yeah. Like, for example, if you're stuck in pirate reality, then you'll you'll find the indigo icon as a tattoo on your own shoulder that is of an Earth-like but not Earth planet with the phrase mother written over it. Yeah. To remind you that this is your, your goal was to get home to mom, even though home is not Earth. It's a new Earth. That kind of thing. You get the idea. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Some of the realities in here are just weird and great. They get a little abstract with these icons. I mean, there's one where you're a 10-year-old, mm-hmm. and it's you're just like, ah, uh, you wake up from nap time. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. I think my favorite one of them is the one where you are playing a video game that is the reality. Yes. So all the icons are exactly what they should be, but they're video game versions of them. Uh-huh. And, and everything that you are doing in reality is just you playing a first-person view of that game. And if you, the character, get up from the game and go do stuff because you're a college student in this reality, Mm -hmm. that takes place in a split second. It's just a thing you imagine. Yep. So if you're like, oh, I go to classes and I hang out with my friends and I go do some stuff, you're like, great. That all happens like as a thought. Yeah. And then you come back and play the game and it's right where you were. But you have a strong strong compulsion to play the game to completion. So you can't just be like, well, my character uh, turns off the game and gets married and as kids and fuck this yeah hey, you, have a compulsion. you have to come back to the game yeah <laughs> and there's so many of these that eventually they start getting close to each other like in addition to the fact that you can be the one where you're playing it as a computer first person shooter game there's another one where you are in a vr world that is the game yes and that one is like the world looks totally different because it's done with like grids of light and so on and every, every building is a pyramid uh and you know but but it's it's still roughly the same story. You're still a video game character experiencing the world as a video game, but now it's all vector graphics and he- and head goggles. Oh yeah. And I mean the fact that in the base starting realities there were three World War Twos, I was like, Yeah, you also get like three more medieval ones, you get a couple westerns. Yeah, there's you like, get one that's a western and then one that's a cyber western. Yeah, because there's knights and castles, there's monks and abbeys, and then there's also Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. So there are three fantasy realities, uh multiple animal realities, including a cartoon one, an ant colony one, one where you're you're a monkey in a in a uh a, like testing laboratory, and another one where everyone on the uh, in the colony ship just has animal heads instead of human heads. Except for you. Yeah. Uh, and and the evil or the the uh, the thing you're encountering, like if it's a member of the security force or the counselors, which are the governmental bad guys, they will have like alien like leech heads or something, as opposed to the good guys who all have like hawk and owl heads, where you're like, ah, noble animals. Ah, yes, this rabbit man will surely lead me where I need to be. <laughs> Again, I'm. I, I was really curious to see how they were going to handle the whole like series of psychotic delusions when you're playing as first and second generation colonists on a colony ship in the future, a- and they just did it by being like, "Ah, eh, you're not. You're just regular folks. That's why you can get stuck in merry old Robin Hood times, or have a world where you know all the animals' relative nobility values, even though you may never have seen a fucking animal." Uh. <laughs> hey, man. I mean, at least in the first, because you'd be first generation. Uh, that was born on there, or one of the original ones. Yeah, so you're not that far removed from a horse, but I, I still was. Uh, so I was curious to see how they did it, and I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed that they pretty much did it by not doing it. 
I was really curious to see how many delusions they could spin off from the lived experiences of someone who was born on a spaceship and is going to die on that spaceship. Eh. Um, but whatever, you know, who who cares, right? That would be boring. Because they'd would be. They'd be like, ah, yes, 20 variations on the exact same thing, and it's it, it doesn't matter. All right, well, let me float another thing that might be boring. Robin Hood times. Eh. I'm not going to play a game about being a person on a space a, a space colony ship where I'm crazy just so I can be like, and I am Little John, and I, I wish to hit people with a staff. And, you know, you can tell I was in this book because that shit's uh, not copyrighted by anyone. Anyone can do Robin Hood. Hey, did you want to do Dracula? Boy, is that in the public domain. Nice and free. <laughs> uh, see, the thing is, I'm fine with that because it's a thing you're jumping between. I know. I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying the uh, the couple of them that are like you're Dickensian or you're in uh, you're in Robin Hood times or you're in the fucking Morlock Eloy planet. I'm I'm like eh, I'd probably change those if I was running this. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, if you want to make your own game for Psychosis, all you need is to write your in, an entire choose your own adventure book, <laughs> and then write like 35 overlays for that choose your own adventure book, so it looks different over and over again. Hooray! And then when you run it, you got to run it with a bunch of players who are you have to keep them from talking to each other, so so that they don't spoil that they, their delusions are obviously shared uh, experiences because you weren't good enough at coming up with lots and lots of descriptors. It's also weird to me that. Sometimes there are, like, some of the things that you can do, uh, like one of the, the scenes that you can have, will be unique. So if you do the scene, it's done, it can never be done again. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you come in and that includes, like, uh, the one where you get the treatment that lets you, you know, either get fucked up or get close to reality is unique. Yeah. So it's only going to happen to one person. But... I got to wonder, all of the icons and stuff, like, if one person manages to get a key card and then just sort of fucks off and one person manages to get the spacesuit, you're like, okay, but we're not in the same reality. We're just sort of wandering around hoping we bump into each other from Arcana. Yeah. But there's only, like, a tiny chance because there's what 14 cards per suit four suits mm -hmm. and then you have four to pull aces an and and there are all kinds of situations where if you pull the ace you just throw it away because if, if you like you're refilling your hand for some reason you'll you'll not add the ace to your hand you'll just get rid of it yeah if you come across a thing where the uh scenario is like oh you finished this and now you have to clear your hand and your uh board in front of you of mm -hmm. all cards and redraw yeah. You don't get an ace for that. Yeah, you only get aces during regular draws, which means there's a pretty solid chance that the aces won't even get used as arcana summoners. So yeah, the uh, it feels like the chance to pull those major arcanas that can be used to like jump around between realities or jump into other people's realities so you can communicate with them is weirdly low. I don't know. I'd have to play the game to see for sure. Yeah, it's it definitely feels like there's going to be a point where you're going to have to be like, all right. So uh, I turn to one of the players and go, all right, uh, you go into the saloon and you see a rough and tumble cowboy and they've got the sheriff's badge. And but, and you, you are in the cantina uh, of your military base mm -hmm. and you see someone come in and they've got the sergeant's badge. They've got the. Well, because it'd be different things, it'd be like, oh, you have the sheriff's badge, and that's the key card, but 
the person who walks in, you're like, oh, they came in and they've got the uh, 10 gallon the- hat of being, of being able to survive in outer space. <laughs> well, no, because you're you're in the military once you're like, oh, they've oh, got yeah. the military coat that says you're allowed to be in restricted areas and you just have to keep coming up with weird things it's definitely and both of the players are sitting there going like yeah okay we get it yeah we know yeah we know what i've this got is. a yeah. thing he's got a thing i'm going to you for want- no reason trust this random stranger well you can tell they're important because they're a player and no matter what universe you, or reality you find yourself in uh you can always tell other players yeah so, so you I end get- up just going like Hey there, cowboy. Mm-hmm. You seem like a trustworthy sort. Would you like to go on a military-style adventure with me? And then what they hear is, would you like to help to be part of the posse I'm rounding up? Yeah, it's just... You need a lot of buy-in it's... from the players for this to work. You really need a lot of buy-in so that they don't just circumvent everything you're saying and be like, yeah, we all figured out what this is already. Uh, everybody who's found the red icon, as you describe it, has realized that it's a roster of some kind. You can just call it a roster. It's a list of different people. Yeah. Everyone found a different type of list of different things. This guy's got a bunch of wanted posters and this guy's got like a dossier airplane spotting guide. Yeah, it's fine. We get it. We get the idea. But it it's just weird to me because you all start in the same room and have the exact same experience of while you're in different realities. It's all just. Someone comes in and tells you to leave, and either you do or you don't, and you get, like, either captured or you run away with the landers. Yeah. And, but the base realities that they describe don't have anything to do with the other players there? No, they don't. They can't. So, like, for example, if you wake up and you're in, in uh, World War II occupied France... Uh, it's occupied by World War II. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the whole thing's here? Why would they call it World War then? <laughs> they should have called it French War. Ah, oh, France War Two. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you wake up in occupied France, then one of the, the landers, which is the faction of the people that are trying to land the ship, they're the ones who just woke you up and it's like, you have to come with me. But in your mind, you're like, they're like, oh, oh I am now. Oh, monsieur, you must come with me to the town. We eh? are hiding out in a barn from the Nazis. Uh, and there's not a point in that description where it's like, meanwhile, four other resistance guys are also being smuggled away by different lander guys. Well, especially because two of the starting ones, the uh, one who's going to go salvage a Hulk mm-hmm. and one where you are a patient in an insane asylum are both you start and no one else is there. And that is part of your delusion. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a little weird. Uh, it's got this, I mean, they they have advice for how to DM it. They're like, always end on a cliffhanger. So always be like, Oh yeah, you tried to throw a grenade at that guy. Why don't you show me your Trump cards and then we'll get back to you. So it's supposed to be you're constantly jumping from player to player and switching the, the the milieu in which you are playing, and no one is ever really interacting with anyone else unless one of the very rare trump cards that shoves them into the same reality happens. Uh, so it, it it the one thing is it is fast paced because all of these things are like you find yourself at a bazaar. There's only one fucking thing to do here. Oh yeah, it's all very. Uh, you are in a place. If the player decides to go this way you go to this adventure. If they decide to go this way, you go that way. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, yeah. So it's, it's fair. It's it, fairly straightforward. And also every time you, you play cards, you refill your hand right away. Yeah. So it's, you're never, you're always just going to play the best possible cards you can. Now it's interesting to me that 
because you refill your hand, you only ever get five, and the cards that you put in front of you... Your trace. Your trace are part of that five. It's often not beneficial unless you plan on solving everything through, like, talking or punching Mm -hmm. to put a card in there because otherwise you don't get more cards into your hand, more variety to play. Because if you put all four cards down, you're like, great, if a thing happens then I basically just get whatever card I have in front of me. Yeah, I mean, woe betide you if the player has read the book before, because the first thing they'll do is go, I've read this book. There isn't a single call for a staves challenge anywhere in the entire adventure. I will never put a trace there. And that's why I will put a trace there and solve everything oh, with true. punching. Yeah, everything's punchable. Um, but yeah, I think basically the right way to play it is to pick one or two uh, arcana to put traces down in. And then not put the other ones because you want to have basically just wait until you have a face card, put that down and then that's it. And even then, I don't want them in all. I don't want all four traces filled because I want to be able to pump big uh, successes where if you're like, okay, I put a queen down. So I actually have like a 12 or a 14 or whatever it is in that suit. But but I have traces and everything. So I have one card left. So unless it happens to be another queen of that uh, thing, it can't be. I, I will never be able to beat some of the super high difficulties. So you want to keep you you don't want to put traces down for everything. Yeah. Uh oh, uh, we didn't talk about how damage in combat works. It's opposed roles. You do an opposed like oh, it's a, a opposed uh, if you're doing so- a gunplay for example, it's an opposed uh, swords check. And then the difficult the difference by which you beat them is the uh the difference by which you inflict one of the four types of combat uh, effect on on an enemy player yeah and depending on what type of thing you are doing uh those four effects will be different so if you're mm-hmm. doing like either a grapple or non-lethal attack then you know you might restrain or wound or knock them unconscious but you're not going to kill them unless you're actually doing a lethal attack and yes. get a very uh high result over them so the fourth the four effects are you didn't do anything to them that's one of them uh you caused pain uh now when you cause pain on somebody they discard a card uh from their hand or from their trace and they don't get to refill it until they next refill cards yeah if you cause a wound which is the next one up from that then they discard a card from their hand or their tra- I'm sorry unconscious is between those yeah uh, unconscious you you fall unconscious and when you wake up you wake up in another scene done yeah it's really simple wound is you lose a card either from your hand or your trace but also from your total number of cards until you are somehow healed yeah so unless you manage to get into one of the scenario uh things you can find in here where there's some medical stuff if you get wounded, you're just like, great, now my total hand size is four instead of five. Yes, and uh, you'll notice that death isn't on that list because there isn't it. Uh, death is either caused by just DM fiat, which is the easiest way to do it, or I believe in players it's if you lose access to all of your cards. Oh, yeah, if you get five wounds, you're very dead. Yeah, so that's the only way to get to get myrtleized. So there you go. That's That's how combat works from start to finish. If you find a gun, for example, it will give you a bonus. So if you're like, oh, I found this gun, it gives me plus three to swords challenges. Uh, Amusingly, it gives you plus three to swords challenges, which theoretically means if you could find a way to use the gun for tightrope walking or something, you would get a plus three. Uh, because again, the game doesn't have specialties or skills, but it's common sense driven. So well, yeah. you know, if you have a gun, you get a bonus to guns. Yeah. And I mean, if you find a gun, but in your reality, you're like, oh, there's no guns here. Uh, I It's a crossbow. It's, whatever it's a you wand, to, yeah. whatever. It's whatever you need it to be. All items are mutable into your into your current reality. Yeah, but whenever you use that, you're like, okay, 
that'll get me a bonus to using that thing. Now, NPCs do not have the same setup that you do. Uh, a lot of the time, they have, at most, two cards. Uh, like, uh, your standard commoner you meet is going to have two drawn cards to oppose you with. So if you want to get into a fight with them or try to, like, seduce them or something, you can throw your trump card at them or as much as you want, and they will respond by building a, a trump response out of whatever cards they have in hand. Uh, a lot of the enemies and so on will have bonuses as well, so they'll be like, well... If you fight a security goon, he'll have plus eight to swords and plus five to staves and three cards. Yeah. Which is like having a trace in either of those two things. Exactly. Uh, so that's how that's how uh, villains work, which makes it fairly easy. Now, the basic goal of the game, you might as well run through that. Uh, you wake up in a facility. You have to try and become sane again. You have to... I mean, honestly, becoming sane isn't the goal. It's mostly no. just to land the actual thing. Yeah, you need to start you the landing Whether you realize it or not. Yeah, you don't really need to land the ship because it's a multi-year process to land the ship, but you do need to start the multi-year process of landing the ship. Yeah. I mean, your characters are on a clock because they're like, if you don't start the process soon, mm -hmm. you will overshoot the planet that you are going towards and then it won't matter. Yeah, then the counselors win. And the counselors the whole time want you around. They don't want to kill you because they know that you will be able to get into the parts of the ship that haven't been accessed for 80 years. Yeah. Uh, because they've all been locked down by the, the original generation uh, where all these like extra weapons and animals and and, uh, and spaceships and armor and food and so on are all stored. And they're like, if we could get in there, we could last even longer before we have to give up power. So they largely want to chase you until you uh, give them access to the powers. Uh, that that be at the center of the ship, otherwise known as the op center. The, the ship is divided into three zones so that you can have an easy description for each one of the psychoses you're under. There's uh, the common area, which is like where the bazaar and all the living quarters and so on are. The wasteland, which is like a bunch of half-empty, abandoned parts of the ship where things don't work so well anymore. Yeah, it's all graffitied and whatnot. It's super cold there because the heating systems have all failed. And then the op center, which is like the secret middle of the ship where military stuff can happen. Yeah. And each one of those gets its own wild description in terms of like if you're in the world. If you're like, well, I'm I'm in a delusion where uh, I I think that I'm in the ship the the uh, ship, but it's a movie and I'm an actor. Yeah. Then you can like leave to go to the wasteland, and you think the wasteland is like the back lots around the studio. Yeah. But you can't get further out than that. So it's uh, I'll say this for psychosis. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a concept. That's for sure. It is. I have not seen this concept before. Yeah, the combination choose your own adventure with everyone swapping genres all the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's very interesting. I like the idea of it. Less so the fact that not everyone is in the same reality, so that you've just got so much more work for yourself than you otherwise would. I feel like this would this is definitely an example of a game, a role-playing game that would make more sense as a one-player video game, like a point-to-click adventure kind of thing. Uh, it would be a lot of fucking work. Don't get me wrong. You'd have to redesign every single f screen of your point-to-click adventure to be like, oh, it's Cyberpunk now. Oh, it's World War II now. But uh, it's the sort of thing where the, the problem you're going to run into is that you have four players at the table and all of them are having wildly different experiences. They never interact with each other. And you got to keep them from talking to each other because otherwise they'll figure out the puzzles. And then they're metagaming away the one thing that this game has. Yeah. This game is mostly supposed to be there as a mystery because mm -hmm. you're like, all right, what am I doing? Who am I? Where am I actually? And, you know, you might get to a point where you're like, oh, I've been in, you know, if I was the pilot or whatever, 
And I'm like, oh, I've been in four different realities. And in each one, the role I had in that reality was someone who is either like in charge of flying or driving or whatever. Mm -hmm. You might be like, okay, so I must have been somebody that had something to do with moving vehicles around, whether a driver or a pilot or something. Yeah. So like there is a an amount of, oh, I'm trying to figure things out. And I do like if you don't ever tell your players that they've gone up or down in a reality, they could hit the spine reality and just think, ah, oh, yeah, no, oh, of course I'm in a spaceship somewhere. Another delusion. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it, it's a uh, it, it would be a very hard game to run because oh, it's so hard. it's like a hundred percent gimmick is the problem, and also so much hidden information. The players don't know anything more than what you told them in the cards that are in their hand, and that is all they know. Yep. So it is a uh, it's it's a way hidden information game, which would make it very difficult to run. You'd have to really be taking a lot of notes and and relying on player buy in to make this thing work. That said, why don't we get into our favorites and least favorites? Sure thing. What's your favorite thing about Psychosis Ship of Fools? Uh, I really like the, uh, I mean, I like jumping genres. Uh, I've said I it know. before. That's your, th that's your jam. I love, you know, shit that's like sliders or quantum leap or any sort of jumping between realities sort of thing. I love that because I... I like being able to be like, oh, well, what is this in this setting or in this setting or mm -hmm. how do you run whatever? And it keeps things fresh and interesting, though. Usually I like that more as, you know, actually jumping between realities and not being a crazy person. Yes. Yeah. That the problem with this whole thing being about psychoses is that there's a pretty solid chance that it can be fairly uh, insensitive to people who actually have any kind of mental issue. Yes. Where you're like, well, my character's crazy. What does that look like? He thinks he's a cartoon puppy. Like, uh, no okay. one, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, <laughs> when we were working on the roll of D6 and I'll tell you what happens role-playing game. Which is still something that's in development if we ever hear James, uh, James D'Amato say anything to us ever again. If he ever I haven't heard from that us. guy in like two years. Well, you know baby <laughs> no that, that, that baby's due next month we ain't even seen that baby we ain't seen no baby ain't but no, ain't no baby james has been preparing for baby i know and i remember i did that so we had a whole thing where like you could randomly change the rules and the setting and the genre that you are in and it wasn't because you were crazy it's just oh now you're in whatever deal with it yeah and i like that idea yeah. i like the idea of just instead of psychosis being a literal psychosis it just being like yeah you're in a <laughs> do this but it's just the ship is being piloted through a weird warp storm and it literally changes your reality yeah i can think of a couple different ways where i would improve I, I feel like this game would be improved and a little less hurtful to people with real mental issues uh for example everyone who who got put into the freezy tubes also had cyber cyber eyes installed and your eyes are lying to you because they got corroded over the years just something that simple would be a little better than everyone's crazy and there's no cure for crazy. <laughs> you have to become the right kind of crazy to solve the adventure. Uh, but yes, I do like switching genres as a concept. Yeah. 
What about you? What's your favorite thing? Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, ultimately, that is prob- that's not just the best thing about this game. It's like the only thing about this game. Well, I mean, I'll, if you want that, I would say the other thing I like is the balance between your hand and your trace. Yeah, that's kind of neat. I'm, when I'm fine. to put things down and when not. That was where I was going to go. I was going to say that, that as far as the story of the game goes, there's only one thing, which is that you have this neat genre swap mechanic. But uh, the mechanic of the game is fine. That said, I'm going to I'm going to also call it my least favorite thing when I get around to that. But the uh, simplicity of the hand plus trace mechanic is fairly simple. It it doesn't get in the way of too much. And the book even tells you at the very beginning, like, look, this is not a game about mechanics. This is a game about solving elaborate pre-written mysteries. So yeah, the fact that you could be like, oh, I've got the fucking king of swords here. I am Mr. Dexterity. All right. You wipe that. You aren't anymore. Yeah. Like, oh, huh. All right. Or more relevant. A lot of the time you can also be like, well, you have a king in your dexterity. I'm not going to ask you to roll that. You just do it. I'm not interested in mechanics that aren't interesting. Like the for 93, that's a pretty good idea. Uh, uh, mindset to already be de- developing, which is oh, I'm yeah. not interested in rolling for results where there's no interesting where there's not two interesting results. Yes. And they I mean, they say it in there. They're like, dude, don't challenge people unless it matters. Yeah. If you can't come up with a thing that would happen if they fail the challenge, don't do this. Yeah. And I like that. And I mean, it does also say, although maybe you just challenge them for things that they can very clearly, obviously beat just to make them be like, oh, I don't know what's going on. In reality, you're getting a cup of coffee. But in your mind, you think you're fighting off a dragon. And you're like, okay, well, sure, whatever. What would you say is your least favorite thing? Oh, the least favorite thing is probably your least favorite thing, which is the fact that the major arcana don't affect anything ever. Yeah, that's exactly what my least favorite thing was going to be. The fact that the major arcana, which would be the number one reason you'd bother with a tarot deck instead of just getting a fucking regular deck of cards or working out a dice mechanic, is that you get to play with all these cool uh, major arcana and, and be like, ah, the tower has entered the field. It will change the way the game plays. And so on. In this, all they all of them do is just you know I've got them in front of me here. I can show you. I can I can tell you what a few oh, of them are. It's almost all you shift up a reality, you shift down a reality, you yeah. shift over a reality. I mean, they give you little little uh, descriptions, which I think are just pulled from a generic book of describing what the high what the uh, major arcana do. So, for example, the moon, anxiety, illusion, deceit. Which doesn't matter because what it actually does is shift the player's one psychosis plane out uh, outward. Yeah, so you if go they're from in B, B go to, to C. Yeah, that's all it is. It's not that interesting. It doesn't stay in play. It just immediately does that and then goes away. And even some of the ones that stay in play are usually this stays in play until it does a thing. So it'll be like... Yeah, they're called delayed results. Yeah, it'll just be like, oh, this will stay in play until you make a friend, and then that friend dies. Here, let me just tell you what the tower does, because it's one of the ones I, the, the one I mentioned earlier. It's a delayed reaction. The tower, catastrophe, chaos, destruction. Each player will fail his or her next important challenge, causing each to become sidetracked, injured, or killed. Delayed. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Why would you... I mean, it's the worst card you'd pull anyway, because the tower sucks. Apparently it does. Uh, The world, opportunity, progress, discovery, give the player an important clue, or even an icon. Delayed. Yeah. It's boring. I I really wanted the the major icon to... uh, You 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 see a game that uses the tarot as a mechanic... Which is not super uncommon. We haven't. I don't know if we've done one before, but I've seen several games that I utilize. I mean, we have used it, but yeah. not often. It's not usually the core mechanic. Usually, the tarot is just also there. We've done that a few times. I think Etris by and. Uh, I mean, some just use the major arcana. Some use the whole deck. Yeah. So, so whenever you see the tarot, you know that what they want you to do is like Everway is another example of one that we did that had its own tarot deck, uh, where 
you want those major arcana to do stuff so you can kind of learn a little bit about the tarot, take advantage of the fact that it has a ton of uh, of uh, associated history and and uh, descriptive power that's already built into it, and then use that. And this doesn't do that, and so that's why that's my least favorite thing about this. Because you know, you see tarot on the cover, you're like, oh, neat tarot tarot game, and then it, it might as well not be. Yeah, I mean, if if the aces thing came up more often, then that would be something. But the yeah. fact that during the start of play, you might just discard a few, and then you're very unlikely to find one. And it's just... And even when you do, they're all just stuff like, you get crazier, you get less crazy, you get equally crazy as that person, or, or bad shit happens. Yeah, I'd rather they do something. I mean, especially given that you have a game based around, like, oh, weird realities and stuff, and having a major arcana not just be like this affects the reality you are in in some absolutely vital way of just being like what does this one do oh uh this one blends two realities together you thought you were in a western but now all of a sudden knights are riding by as well and mm -hmm. you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> like just major arcana doing weird things would be it'd be fun it'd be more fun than what it is which is boring and not and not active or, and not or, fun yeah <laughs> Boring, not fun, and not used enough. Yes. So there you go. And you're saying that's your least favorite thing, too? Yeah. I mean, probably the full least favorite thing is the fact that this game just trivializes mental issues. I mean, yeah. It doesn't, it's not as bad as I expected it to be no. because it's so much of like, it's so pushed forward into reality warping that it doesn't feel like it's even talking about actually being suffering from a psychosis no it's more like it, it, they use that word when they shouldn't have and what they should have said was your reality is warped and pre your perceptions all fuck yeah. out you are in a weird like different brain reality yeah but the the thing i would say is probably one of my biggest problems that isn't mechanic as far as like the the major arcana go is the fact that when you boil this down that it's just a choose your own adventure and half of the things in there are unique you're like all right there's like 16 things you can do and eight of them you can only do once so there's going to come a time where you're like either i've been you know killed by security or i win just by the fact that i'm gonna be railroaded into doing it mm -hmm. like it it doesn't have the same it's much more of like a board game than it is a, a role-playing game in the normal sense. That is true, yeah. One of the things I found amazing in here is a section that describes how play is going to go, and it says that this game is expected to take eight to ten, four to eight hour sessions. Bullshit. And I'm like, what the fuck? Are you going to play it a bunch of times? What are you talking about? Yeah, every time I look at one of the adventure things, it's like, ah, you're in this room. Uh, there's a person there, and there is an object. And you're like, how is this going to take me eight hours <laughs> per session? Use wrench on salesman. Didn't work. Oh. Get ye flask. <laughs> you cannot get ye flask. Ah! <laughs> Offer the Garrick a cold one. <gasps> okay, so <laughs> anyway, that's our, uh, would you play this? Um, I would. I would play this. Mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting to try. So honestly, I would play it. I would never run it because running this would be a goddamn nightmare. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't play this. It's not. There's not enough meat here to get over how much I don't much like what what is left. 
Like, if it had an interesting mechanical proposition or if it had an, a more interesting story. That said, I think that this is useful to mine for ideas. Oh, yeah. See, I would play it because the base genre swapping thing is such a mechanic that I love I yeah, I that I would be down for it even though the game isn't particularly amazing. Yeah, I don't have quite the boner for sliders that you do. Sliders. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am hungry for sliders. <laughs> sliders. <laughs> So I don't. I, I'm not going to automatically say yes to anything with reality jumping in it. I feel like I could mine this. There's ideas in here. I don't. I, I wouldn't mind stealing, but it isn't interesting enough for me to want to play it personally. All right. So there you go. We got one yes and one no for Psychosis Ship of Fools. Now, John, let me tell you something real quick here. This is going to be a hard game to do bonus content for because there is zero character creation. That's right. So instead, we're going to have to do something a little different. Something a little. Mary? <laughs> Do we want to spoil it or should we we save it for the thing? <laughs> should, should we tell them what's going to happen or should we jingle away? <laughs> John messaged me earlier today and said, hey, what are we going to do for bonus content? There is no character creation in this game. And I had been thinking about that for like a week because I had noticed the same problem. And it's it dawned on me that what I wanted to do, not for any good reason, but just because it's stupid and fun, was, and I told John to do this, is... Use any system on the wall, because we have big wall of systems, use any system on the wall to make Santa Claus. You have to make the best Santa Claus you can, a playable Santa, using whatever system, and we're going to present our Santas to the masses as a bonus content. There you go. If you want to know what Santa looks like in a couple different role-playing games, mm -hmm. you can judge how close we are to being Santa by going over to patreon.com slash system mastery. Join us at the lowest tier the one dollar level unlocks all of the system mastery bonus content where we've made characters mm -hmm. and we have a ton of that so you can go there and do that and of course there are other levels you can unlock all of our bonus content for our expanded universe expanded universes at the two dollar level and then afterthought and tv mastery at the five yep so much content available for you for such a low price use some of that christmas money you just got Go ahead, treat yourself to some bonus content. Yeah, do that. Definitely buy the biggest bonus content in the shop window. <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> Someday we'll do an episode where we don't mention that. <laughs> uh, at least when we're doing it this time, it's, you know, thematic. Unlike the <laughs> times where it's like April and we're just like, you there, boy. Now, if you're asking us, the spirits of, the, of things that have yet to come... What you can do to avoid a horrible fate, why just re leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher? What you should do is come in and know me better, man. Does he see that in every adaptation or is that pretty much a Muppet thing? I don't know. It's so good in the Muppets. Oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> Muppet I, Christmas Carol. I was Best just, Christmas Carol. It's my fucking favorite Christmas Carol adaptation there is, and I've seen a lot of them, and it's just plain the best one. I mean, it doesn't hurt that you got Michael Caine playing it straight, start to finish. Oh, yeah. There's no point where he's like, I'm talking to a frog, or whatever. He's just like, no, I am playing motherfucking Ebenezer Scrooge. I am doing this like I'm at the London Royal Company. <laughs> <laughs> you sons of bitches, I am giving this my all, and I'm like, god damn it, yes you are. Yeah, I was just reading the other day that the Ghost of Christmas Past, which is that little wispy ghost girl, uh -huh. was a reused puppet from storytellers mm -hmm. which was death huh. there's a scene where death showed up on a little tv screen or something it looked like a little boy with like soot on his face and so on but they took that puppet and repurposed it and turned it into the ghost of christmas past which is wild 
I also saw a list of people who were supposed to be Scrooge, and they were all fantastic. Ah. Uh, but none of them were Michael fucking Kane. See, I also wanted the uh, Ghost of Christmas Future to just be some other random Muppet. Oh, it should have been Uncle Deadly. Oh, I 100% wanted it to just be Scooter. <laughs> just comes in and is like, Hey, Scrooge, you're going to die. Just uh, wanted to let you know. Well, if you'd like, if you were interested in hearing more of the story, because uh, I was reading about the history of that show, of, of that uh, that film, uh, it was originally intended that the three ghosts were going to be three known Muppets and not completely new characters. And I can tell you who was going to be what. Uh, so specifically, Scooter was the ghost of Christmas past. Ah. And that was where they were going to use him. So you did get Scooter there. Uh, the ghost of Christmas present, because uh, all about just sort of living in the moment and being the best, Miss Piggy. Nice. And uh, the Ghost of Christmas Future was going to be Gonzo. Huh. And that was before they had decided to turn Gonzo into Dickens and have Dickens narrating his own story. Neat. And there's the reason they, they, they I have another reason they chose Gonzo to do that, because he felt like the worst possible choice for which Muppet should be Dickens. Yes. That was why they chose him for it. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, go watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's, it's Marley and Marley. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I already watched it once this season. It's one of my it's one of my two or three automatic watches for the Christmas season. I gotta tell you, as soon as that fucking uh, Christmas present song starts going, I am doing the exact same dance that that puppet is. I'm just like, yeah, the 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 high arm lifts. Oh yeah, you gotta. Yeah, there's two or three Christmas movies I watch every every holiday season. One of them is definitely Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, the other one I always watch as a endurance test for myself is the Rift Tracks Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. Yeah. I have watched that every year for six years. <laughs> uh, so if you want to know more about us, our Santas, and our traditions... Mm-hmm. And our ice cream us, bunnies. Join us at Patreon. Oh, ho, 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 ho. And know us better, man. <laughs> <laughs>